Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Beers and Bulldust podcast. Uh, my name is Scott and we have co-host of a host, Aiden. Hello. <laughs> it's almost saying, saying that um, that episode 22 makes me want to say it like Richie Banner and go 22. Um, yeah, I'll be back. Just fell off the yeah, back of the just, that crash in the background was... Um, and my packs, old army packs, just falling off the chair where it was temporarily living. It's now living on the floor. Um, right, yo. Uh, so, welcome to the week. Welcome to what was, what is the last week of your holiday. Yeah. Yay. Back to school tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no more sleeping till midday. No more living on just junk food and stuff and playing games. It's back to doing normal things. Education. Yeah. Well, it's bound to happen at some point in time. Yeah. Might as well get it on with. And you get to have your brother there at school with you too. Yeah. No, in grade seven. No yeah. doubt he'll find you and try and bob you. <laughs> <laughs> He's already done that on the um, orientation day. <laughs> uh, good on him. That's what, that's what younger siblings are meant to do, is to find you and embarrass you on normal days at school <laughs> yes it's just, it's just how it is um yeah well that'll be good for you get back into school get some normality back uh i think i'll be back in the office the week after next um we'll slowly transition back to the office other things we did this week well not much throughout the week really um yesterday we did a nice big 7.5k walk yeah uh, took everyone with us including the dog the dog was the biggest one to pike out. <laughs> it's about a kilometre before the finish. Yep, that's that's it for the dog. Um, made a drag her ass all the way home, though, because I'm not carrying a staffy for a kilometre. <laughs> that ain't going to work. <laughs> but that was pretty good. And we're, we're doing that uh, in, because in April, um, day before Anzac Day, we will be doing the One Army Walk yeah. um, around the Brisbane City. Sort of area. Uh, and we're going to do the 10 kilometer walk yeah um so we'll work ourselves up to it periodically but probably be a little bit earlier in the morning than what we did the other day still so work ourselves up to it yeah to do the 10k walk and be some good distractions along there because it goes along the riverfront and onto the story bridge and across it and background and stuff like that so there'll be enough to distract everyone and there'll be enough toilet stops for everyone yeah That'll need to happen. Uh, so that is that. Is that. Uh, in, in some other news, and not really news, not anything exciting, I got my second vaccine this morning. And from that, and it's by no means me uh, encouraging or discouraging the vaccine, you make your own damn choice, I'm not a doctor. Uh, from that is one thing that's got me a little bit perplexed. Right. In December, mid-December last year, there was about 90... We, we clicked that 90 mark of people who have double vaccinated in December. By the time I went and got my first one in January, mid-January, we were a month beyond that. I've now gotten to the point where I've got my second vaccine. So all of those that have gone before me for their first should have almost, no matter what vaccine they've had, barring a few exceptions, already had their second vaccine by now. So you would expect the second vaccinated numbers to be past 90%. Because all those 90 should already be done. Yet it's not. No. It's 89.9. So my my confusion and perplexion with that is, are the numbers accurate? And does that mean people are not getting their second shot? In which case, maybe they should back off and try to push boosters and just get people to a second vaccination point. Or are they, are they withholding the number to try and not get it to 90? Are they just making it lag there at 89.9? It's, it's a really confusing thing. Yeah. Because if everyone had just gotten their second vaccine in time, you get a message, you get another text message, you get another text message, you get, like, freaking emails to go and get it. I'm perplexed as to which is the, the missing bit there. Um, Not that I'm for the vaccine. I think we should be at 90%. I don't care whether we are or we're not. The reason I'm getting mine on my own. It just perplexes me that the number is that way. A little bit of conspiracy. Well, that's my conspiracy theory. It's either 
It's either the government's not giving us the correct number or the people are not going to get in their second shot because they're weirded out. I don't know. Lazy. lazy. <laughs> it's not like it's freaking hard. Like the, the the place I go to, you spend more time filling out your form than you do waiting to get the vaccine or get the vaccine or take the seat from getting the vaccine. Yeah. Right? Filling the form out is the longest thing in the whole process, except sitting there for fifteen minutes waiting. That that's it. You're in and out the door in in less than thirty minutes. Yeah. It's not, it's, not, it's freaking hard. You can park inside the place. You walk upstairs. It's air conditioned. Like, it's not like the freaking army where they line us all up at the freaking medical center with a whole stack load of needles and just go, bang, next, bang, next, bang, next, bang. And you got your little form, and as you go past each person, you got holes coming out everywhere, and you're, like, bleeding to death from all the needles, and they're just marking your form down for another one. It's, it's not like that. It's freaking, it's, it's about as effortless as going and donating blood. Yeah. I just, like, I, I just don't know where the gap is. I really don't know where the gap is. That's quite perplexing and confusing. Um, moving on, really no old lady update, obviously, because you haven't seen her. Might probably probably be able to see her um in the next coming weeks. Yeah, weeks yeah. Yeah, hopefully we start seeing her again. Your mum might wave at her and she might wave back. It seems like she only waves at like mum. <laughs> She, she hates all males or something. <laughs> she just won't wait for them. Anyway, we'll see how that turns out next week. See if we've got an update for you. Uh, I, in, I, I thought instead of having, you know, agents' cars at the moment, we just have the car news. Because that sort of seems what it's become. Yeah. Now. All right. I have some car news. All right. Have you heard of the great chip shortage? Yeah, I you, have. You have? Yeah. Okay. I, I sort of have, but I didn't realize it actually had a name. Um, you know what it means? Shortage of like the chips for like um, not not the chips that you eat, mm. but like the mechanic, not me, like the coding chips, the yes. microchips. Yes, yes, the microprocessors or semiconductor processors or integrated circuits. Depends what you want to call them. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Do you know why there's a shortage? Uh, I don't. Just like what, like the actual materials that they're made out of? No, no, it's got nothing to do with the materials. Um, what it is, and for those that don't know, you know, the in- integrated circuits that we're talking about here, they go in everything from gaming consoles like PS5s, they go into phones, they go into TVs, computers, cars, it, everything. Um, the average car has about one and a half thousand of these little processors in them. Jeez. Throughout different modules, you know, yeah, yeah, central freaking climate control stuff, it has processors in it. You know, your cruise control's got processors. The engine's got a bazillion of them. Um, so they're, they're everywhere. So it, what's caused it, there's, there's a multitude of things that actually caused it, more than what I thought, right? I thought it was just like the Rona wreaking havoc. It, and, it, and it sort of is. Um but it's the fallout from the Rona, not the Rona itself. So it's not sick workers or nothing like that, um, to a degree. Um, where the main part for the Rona came in was when everyone went into lockdown, everyone needed computers real quick and monitors and, you know, mouse and keyboard setups that have these processes in them. And there was a massive rise. In 2020, the personal computer, just the normal bog standard computer sales went up by 26%. Jeez. In that one year. Yeah. So an already, you know, I guess operating at its sort of effective maximum market had a spike, right? And that called for a lot more demand. So a lot more of those got built. Um, on top of that, you had like lockdowns and stuff that sort of shut factories down and... Um, what most businesses or those super processors, those processing companies did was just let their stock deplete, thinking they'd be back up and running in no time, there were going to be no pressures. At the same time that happened, when everything went into lockdown, all the US car manufacturers went, oh, well, we're not going to need any, no one's going to buy a car now, everyone's at home. Oh. So they cancelled, absolutely flat cancelled their orders for these processors. The only ones that kept them going were the IT market. Like the yeah. car market went, don't need none. We're shutting. 
bang, closed. Jeez. Um, so all these manufacturing companies just went, oh, we don't fucking need any. So we'll, you know, a couple of weeks lockdown ain't going to kill us. Things extended and got fucking worse and worse, of course. Um, and what the US car companies didn't realize was it didn't slow car sales down one iota. People step, kept buying cars, which meant the stocks ran down quicker. Um, a, as an indication, right, the, the, the car market accounts for about 15% of all these processes. Yeah. Um, the the rest of the IT market and everything else accounts for, you know, IT accounts for about 50% of it, which they can keep up with that amount of demand. But what happened was, is when the car markets went, well, we don't want any, these manufacturing places did what all businesses do, went to the IT manufacturers and went, oh, you go and have more, and kept none for the cars. Yeah. There's just none for them. It's, it's meant that some haven't even been able to finish cars. Jeez. Just partly done. Things just are not completed because can't put all the, the integrated circuits and electronics into them. Yeah. Um, so it, it causes quite a large amount of havoc. Um, the China US China and USA trade war. So the 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 trade war um, had a big impact on it. The uh, US, some US department of something or other, uh, restricted the importing of these these integrated circuits from China. Yeah. From this one main company in China that did it. I think it probably in the back of their mind is, oh, we'll encourage more US companies to make them and blah, blah, blah. Uh, not realizing that the other main manufacturers, so one being Samsung and the next one being a Taiwanese company, were already operating at, ma- at maximum. They couldn't make any more. Their, their processes and factories are already peaked out. Yeah. There was no way of making any more. So when they stopped getting them from China, they went to these other ones and went, we need some, but we haven't got any. Oh. Our ones are sold. <laughs> so they like shot themselves in the fucking foot. Um, weather also played a part in this. So in the US, in uh, in Austin, Texas, down in Texas, Texas. Um, there's some very big plants down there that, that make them. There's a couple of large plants down there that make them, and they had really, really, really big, severe winter storms. Yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, and that stopped production. Oh. It took several months for them to just start to produce again, but they too are producing pretty well at maximum because they're Samsung ones, so they're, they're producing at maximum already. So it's not like you can have a couple of months off for a storm, come back and go, oh, just bump up production. They're already producing as quickly as they could. Yeah. Um, In Taiwan, they had, in 2021, they had the biggest drought they've had in 50 years. Oh. So there was no water. Uh, and, and these plants, these processing plants, use pure water to, to wash down and clean down. So there's no dust and dirt molecules and stuff. These are very precision-made sort of devices. They're very, very small. And they couldn't get any pure water because there fucking wasn't any water at all. Yeah. So they had to stop because they couldn't clean down. Uh-huh. They couldn't wash. So it that affected them. Um, and finally, fires. Three plants have had fires. Since 2020, um, two in Japan and one in Germany, as recently as last month. Jeez. One in Germany. Oh, so it's wild stuff. It's crazy stuff. And when you put all that together, you end up with the collapse mess that we have now, which is you know that, um, you know that the expecting sales got ruined. That and there's no stock and it's no one can get anything. What it's going to mean is that it will take until about 2023 to 2024 for it to actually be back to normal. Jeez. It's going to take a couple of years for it to catch up. So a lot of cars just won't be able to get the... Uh... That's a lot of cars. And it's going to start affecting like the... It's already starting to affect the tech areas. And you look at the PlayStation 5s, so I can't get the bits they need to finish those off. Um, it'll start probably... It'll affect the next generation iPhones and all those phones because they won't be able to get the, the parts they need to do mass production like they could normally do. Yeah. Um, so all these things are going to have some, some some impact. So I have some top tips for anyone who's actually into investing. Go and invest in Intel and go and invest in TSMC. So TSMC is the Taiwanese, uh, I think it's like semiconductor manufacturing company or something. Yeah. They're the two big ones. You can go and invest in Samsung if you want, but they're still going along quite well. You're not going to get a good return on those. 
but Intel's going to bump up. I think they've invested several billion dollars into Jeez. bumping up their production, and and the same with TSMC. So they're going to really have bumpy years in the next couple of years. Now stock prices are going to go through the roof. So they're two worthwhile investments right there. Um, for as far as for cars, well, well, new cars are going to become more expensive now. Oh, jeez. Because there's not there's not that many of them. Yeah. So the the supply, you know, what you see in the car yard now, you might see heaps and heaps of cars. That's eventually going to dwindle. Um, the 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 excess stock is going to dry up, right? And it's going to dwindle. That's going to put pressure on the second hand second hand car market because people who will normally go and buy a new car won't be able to because their brand new fucking Lamborghini butthole Urus won't be there so they'll have to go and buy a second hand one so the second hand market price for a lot of these newer cars you know the the cars with like 20 or 30,000 k's on them the ex-fleet vehicles and stuff is going to be huge it's going to be almost the same as a new car Jeez. on price to me to try and you know because of the, the demand on them so I can see it going up massively, and then and that's why I reckon getting older is better at the moment. Yeah, like getting pre mid nineties cars before ECUs and all that sort of shit become a thing. Before you know too much ele- integrated electronics became a thing. You know, go and buy yourself an old Cortina. And then got it's lucky to have wires in an old Cortina. I'm pretty sure there's fucking a couple of mice running around with sheets of paper passing messages along. Turn the wipers on. No, no, um, there's not much in them. And that's and that's where you want to be at the moment because yeah. if you have a if you have a relatively new car and it has a processor failure, like say your your climate control module goes down or say your ECU or something goes down, you might not get a new one. Yeah, you you might not. You might be lucky to get one from a records, and that's probably going to be about it. Um, so it's it's going to have a big impact for some years. What if people start salvaging cars for these processors and then start selling them? On the black market for tons of money. <laughs> we, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't start. Um, integrated circuits are very, very delicate, though. So once they get soldered onto a board, uh, I mean, you, you could probably reuse them, um, depending if they're like for like, because they, they are different. Um, if they're like for like, yeah, and it, it might work for a while, but they're, they're pretty freaking sensitive. Yeah. Like they don't like a lot of heat. Um, so I've learned that the hard way. I think I cooked one once oh. a fair while ago. This is when this is when integrated circuits were freaking massive, not not tiny what they are now, oh. but still smaller than the motherboard that it came from, which was fucking three times the size. That's why shit was so much bigger in the olden days, was because the the stuff in behind it was massive. It wasn't the screen size or the speaker size or anything that needed to be big. It was all the other junk in behind it that was massive. Yeah, meant you know you old stereo was the size of half your living room because it was just massive in behind it um so that's that that's that news there um away from car news and i'll, I'll do my one bit away from car news and i'll see what you've got um sort of tech related though have you heard of satellite constellations uh, I've heard of satellites and I've heard of constellations, Mm-mm. but not satellite constellations. So satellite constellations are becoming a big thing and a big worry, uh, especially for space observation. So satellite constellations are things like, you know, um, SpaceX's Starlink, Skylink, whatever the fucking hell it's called, all those little um, satellites, little cube satellites that they're putting together around the globe to make this big fucking network of something or other. Uh. It's where you've got a large bunch of satellites moving around in space that are linked to each other and moving at the same rate as each other and therefore forming what looks like their own constellation. So there's certain rules and regulations that are meant to occur around how far out and how how close they can be to Earth, how far out they can be, um, because you want them relatively close to Earth so they don't block your view for very long. They move around a bit quicker. The further out they are, the slower they move. So if you're observing a star way off in the faint distance, you could have one of these stupid satellites float in front of you and stay there for like 20 minutes <laughs> and, and just block your view of what you're looking at. So it's becoming quite a big thing, and it's becoming a big worry because now to do really good high-definition you know, space observation, you have to navigate through all these satellites. It's becoming like WALL-E where you look on space and it's just fucking satellites. That's what it's becoming like. Yeah. So there's a new, a new center. This new, mm, 
organization i suppose uh, it's been brought together and they're going to actually try and influence policies and space companies to where they put their satellites to leave dark space in the sky yeah so people can still actually look out that's how that's how worried they think they can become of it is there won't actually be dark space in the sky because of all the satellites they're also trying to get them to paint them in non-reflective materials um, cover up any reflective surfaces so you can't see them yeah so they sort of you just can't see whatever you're fucking looking at for a few minutes don't know why then it comes back again but it, it could become a big massive interruption in the ability to spot new forms of life or new planets or anything like that because there's not actually enough dark space in the sky for things to be able to see is there really that much there's going to be oh yeah yeah on the horizon with all the things they want to put into space you know you got your space force or whatever the fucking hell it is that the u.s are doing and the stupid yeah fucking protection fucking thing i don't know what it is um which is not even meant to happen by the way but anyway we're in that conspiracy theory um there's like a whole u.n thing that says we won't use space for fucking war fighting but anyway never mind um there's all those that are going out. There's the SpaceX stuff that's going out. Yeah. There's a few other link satellite systems that are going out with these little cube satellites. And, and, and one launch will put out 100 or so of these little satellites. Jeez. So, you know, they put up a 100 launches with 100 of those little satellites. That's a fucking lot of satellites around the world. And yeah. they're only tiny, but they're, they're big enough to cause an interruption. And that's why they sort of call it constellations. Yeah. Um, because you, you'll actually start seeing, if they don't do enough on the reflective surfaces, you'll actually start seeing them flying around the sky more often, which you sort of can now. Like, if you go out on a dark night, sometimes you can see a satellite scooter by. Yeah. This will be even more so. We're going to get, like, so we're going to have, like, space pollution in the future. Oh, we already got space pollution now. Oh. Yeah. The Earth is already being orbited by fucking leftover rocket bodies and bits of fucking spaceship and fucking toilets and all sorts of shit floating around um, yeah from one of the space stations probably one of the Russian ones I think one of the old some of the old still really small disused Russian space stations are up there because oh. Russia did space stations way before anyone else and they had these tiny little ones these these wee little fucking space capsules they only take like one or two people and only be up there for a short period of time <laughs> Um, you know, a few days or something at most. Um, most of them got taken out of surface, service, but one of them became one of the center modules for the International Space Station. Oh? Yeah, the, the Suez, something or other. Suez, like two or something, three or something. Jeez. But they, they, they trial putting heaps of them into space to use them as observation stations and, and like literally have a dude sitting at a window with a fucking camera taking pictures of Earth. Um, <laughs> They, they tried doing that, but it was just way too hard to manage, and they were all, you know, some of them got launched and weren't able to be commissioned, so were shut down um, and just left to to have their own orbit decay or, and fall to Earth or still out there or whatever. And what, the person inside just dies in them? Well, the most of them, like there was one that couldn't pressurise by itself, so they're automated when they go up there. They know to there's systems and subcommands that tell them to pressurise and stuff like that, and if they can't, they just don't go to them. And there was a couple that didn't pressurize and just didn't get up and online. So they just left them out there. Because oh. what they would do is they would launch these things on a rocket, put them out into space, and then send up another rocket with the people on them. Oh. And then they would go and land inside them. Um, so, yeah, it's a really weird concept. But anyway, there you go. There is plenty and plenty of space junk in space. Yeah. Heaps and heaps of it. Um, the old Russian space station, whatever that bloody thing was called, that that's not up there anymore. That fell to Earth, oh. um, um, in a, in a controlled manner, fell to Earth. Um, disintegrated most of it before it landed in the sea or desert or wherever the hell it landed. Yeah. Um, but there's still a, a whole stack load of disused missile, not missiles, rockets and all that type of stuff up there. Yeah. So. And and then whatever else the freaking Russians decide to put in space, you'd have no clue what's orbiting out there sometimes. You probably in the International Space Station go past something and go, What the fuck? Who put a larder into space? <laughs> 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 it's like, Yep. 
Elon Musk was not the first person to put a car into space, ladies and gentlemen. I bet you it was the Russians, and they put a larder up there. Yeah. And it's probably fucking still rock solid with the tires pumped up and everything. <laughs> Just orbiting around space. Not a problem. Bring it back to Earth and start her up. She'll be fine. I like larders. Yep. I think they're cool little cars. Larders are cool. I do like larders. They're just boxy and just simple and, and cool in their own way. Um, drift a larder. Do you have any of the car news? The only thing I've seen... I'm not sure if I've saved it here. Let me find it real quick. Um, Is new Aston Martin uh, DBX 707 so it's an SUV mm-hmm. apparently fastest SUV in the world <laughs> really don't give a shit it's an SUV so they've taken over from Lambo yeah apparently and um if yeah if anyone uh, wants to you know have a look at what it looks like because it's got a massive grill I've already showed you but yeah, the grill is massive the grill is bigger than my entire Skoda <laughs> that that car could eat my Skoda. Yeah. And then spit the bones out. Like, people are complaining about BMWs having big grills and stuff. Mm. Look at what Aston Martin's doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the newer normal sports cars even have mm. big grills, but at least those are sports cars. They kind of need the air. Yeah. It's an SUV. Yeah, yeah. It's, Who cares? It's it's massive. Isn't that like a fucking Audi or something underneath? No, I, I think it's like a Porsche underneath. Oh, it's a Porsche underneath. Maybe. Oh, it's pretty close. Could be wrong. But um, four liter twin turbo V eight. Mm. So four liter V eight is kind of mm. kind of small for a V eight. Yeah, it's very typical of Britain and Europe, or Europe anyway. It's very typical to do small capacity V eight. It is a massive car that you could fit like. It's a huge car. It's it's ridiculously big. I and mean, it, and it does look like a Porsche. Like the headlights look like the 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 um what is it the the, the Cayenne or the or um. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, their Porsche SUV. And then uh, you look at like the rear, and mm. Porsche on the rear of their their uh, SUVs is just like a line basically. I think mm-hmm. this mm. one's a line, but then some is crashed into the back of it. So yeah, yeah, bent up a little bit. So, and that's how they do design sometimes. It's just easiest way to design the back of the car is design it, and then have it smashed into. Yeah, and then go there we go finished product. They've got this like <laughs> splitter thing at the back, yeah. and it comes out further than the exhaust tips. And the rest of the car. Oh, that's gonna be stupid. You, get... Look at it from the side. Yeah. What you see at the back there is a splitter, not actual exhausts. Yeah, that's gonna get smashed into a wall at the first shopping center they try and reverse <laughs> park it into. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just get smashed and ruined. I can bet you that it's a big car, mm. but there's no actual space inside. It's just a big front end with this yep. little four liter V8. Yep. But it's twin turbocharged, so. Mm. Ooh. But um, it is um, zero to sixty miles an hour. Yeah. Three point one seconds. So, hmm. I mean, I guess it's fast, but it doesn't look uh, doesn't look very good. They must. I wonder what engine they're using. They might be using a BMW or a, or a, um, who else does a four liter V eight? Yeah. No BMW. There's <laughs> something else on top of my head. Somebody yeah. called it um the the Ford Puma. The Ford Puma. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. There's, um, somebody said uh, a tuned GLC. Isn't that the Mercedes? Yeah. So it might be a Mercedes, I'm not sure. Uh, it doesn't sort of look. The I'm back of it doesn't look like a GLC, but it might. I mean, I mean. the car underneath, they could have changed the look and then based yeah. off of, like, the Porsche. Somebody said a Porsche copy. Um, someone else said GLE Rocket 900, which I guess is another Mercedes. Mm. Um,. Somebody said Ford Focus 2023. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I betcha. I betcha. That's, uh, they've already got that, that pumped up Focus. They'll now just stick an Aston Martin badge on the front of it or something. Or, yeah. Or, or when that doesn't sell, they just take the Aston Martin badge off and put a Ford badge on it. New <laughs> Ford Focus. Yeah, so I know I'm not a fan. And then um, there's this another new SUV, no way. There's um the Skoda. I hate newer Skoda names. Mm. Enyaq. Enyaq. It's E-N-Y-A-Q. Okay, yeah. I hate Q in the English language. How do you actually pronounce it? Yeah, and I I don't like the names. I don't I don't understand who's actually like... Maybe I, they're actual I, Slovakian I, names, but then because we're 
English speakers, we just can't pronounce it. Yeah, but even then, it doesn't sort of sound like it. And yeah, well, it might be. <laughs> I don't know, but um, basically, it's like if Skoda made a Tesla Model Three. Is that their SUV? I think the X. The X is the the big seven seater. Oh, the X then. I don't mm. know Teslas. Mm. Yeah, so it kind of reminds me of like a Tesla SUV. Mm. Yeah, it's got that. EV futuristic fucking look about it. Is it looks it... really fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks he- it looks heavy. Is what it looks. It looks yeah, big and heavy. The back of it, it's Skoda, but then that could mm. look like it's from I don't know some Lamborghini or something. Yeah, and that's that newer look they're going with, with that weird shaped rear end. I don't think the back's that bad though. It's um, like being shaped by a guardrail. <laughs> it's got all the curves in it. But, um, yeah, and then some people are saying that, like, you know, some people complimenting that, like, Skoda is some of the best car designs, which, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. But for this one, I don't think it is. Uh, people do like it, though. People are saying, yeah, it's it's it's, good. it's, like it. it's different. It's different to what m- most of them are out there. It's better than but, a lot that we have mm, now. Mm, mm. It's better um, than that Aston Martin. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's got, like... You know how Tesla have those plastic hubcaps over their rims? Yep. They've got that same thing going. Yeah. So it just looks like shit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. That look of rims where it's... It, 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 a rim needs to be have some sort of offset. Yeah. The ones that are just really flat, they they just lose all dimension. They look really bland. But Yeah. I don't know why it. when they design an electric car, they've got to make it just as plain and boring as possible. Well, they're trying to push that aero efficiency piece. Yeah, um, but it's all bullshit. Yeah, yeah. It's just... It's rubbish. They've got that... They're doing that BMW mm. grill thing. Mm, mm. Um, Not the new... Not like the new pig grill, whatever it is. Yeah. Which is good. Um, And it is 0 to 60 in 6.5 seconds. And mm. they've called it the VRS. So they've given it the like the RS badge, like the yep. normal Skodas. Mm, mm. So I know what makes this more... So how do you make an electric car more sporty? Like um, what, you give it more batteries? Add a second USB point. <laughs> it's like, it's got a USB C inside it. That's what it will be. Ah. It's it's like the you know the news is super fast USB C. Three point Yeah, yeah. You plug your phone in, get an extra hundred horsepower. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you actually make a electric car faster. No. I mean, you could probably put some more batteries in it. Batteries, some, I guess. Some bigger potential in the engine or something. Electric motors or whatever. Why don't you get a car, and you have like. Have it like mid engine or something, mm. and just have this massive block of batteries in the back, mm. and then whatever else you need, and have like three thousand horsepower, <laughs> zero to sixteen like a millisecond. Yeah, just make a spaceship out of it. Yeah, well you could do. That's probably what they'll start. Ju- they'll start doing that in ten years time when they start tuning electric vehicles. You know what I just thought? Right. They could make spaceships electric. Yeah, how do you get the thrust? Uh <laughs> <laughs> okay, you make it's like a car, but yep. it's all spaceship, really big, mm-hmm. and you get them to drive off of a ramp, and then they go up because it's really, really fast. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, 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 it's it's not a cartoon, <laughs> <laughs> but you could, you, know, you never know. Electric propulsion could happen, but they would need some way of turning electricity into thrust. Yeah, which I mean, they could do. You never know. Maybe just have like lightning coming out of the bottom mm. and it pushes it up somehow. I know, but that's all that I have. Two just SUVs. Okay. So. Alright. Very good. And we'll move straight along then onto my tips for young bucks. Now, following along from last week's episode, um, where we discussed Australia Day and some of my views on Australia Day, um, it, there, there was some disagreement with that, which is absolutely fine. And that's the point of my tips for young bucks. It is absolutely okay to disagree with someone. Absolutely, without a doubt, it is okay to disagree with someone. But the conversation from there shouldn't be about who's right or wrong. Conversation from there should be about understanding the other person's perspective. Um, you can agree to disagree, and generally, that's that's a means to not have that discussion if either party doesn't feel it's it's necessary. But you can disagree on things. Um, and you can still be able to have a discussion. The key to that um, you will find as you go throughout life 
is that the argument and you and you will have an argument and having an argument is not bad you know if anyone's done debating debating is a freaking argument it's just a structured organized argument um, politicians argue all the time so the, but the argument needs to go away from being an ego-based argument so trying to make you seem better than the other person or feeding your ego or your issues with the fact they disagree with you to arguing for insight so having the argument having the conversation and the discussion to gain insight into what the other person thinks because you might not always be entirely right and i will never be entirely right never ever i know that um i learned a long long time ago that you half of what you think you know you don't know so always be comfortable in disagreeing with someone but never let that be the guidance for you to just fuel your ego and go, I think you're freaking wrong and I don't want to hear a bit about it. Always try and understand the other person's perspective. Yeah. Because it could change your view. Um, it might not. Sometimes it definitely won't. But it might. So always be comfortable in um, being, being accepting that you can disagree with someone but still have an insightful conversation. Yeah. Which we did. You know, so that's that's all absolutely fine. I never bothered by anyone disagreeing with me anymore. It's actually a good opportunity to understand their perspective on things. Yeah. So never be afraid of that. I feel like though that if I were to ever get into some sort of argument about I don't know, just let's say cars or something, mm -hmm. and then I were to try and be like, all right, you know, let's not insult each other. Let's just mm. get our points across. And then sometimes people just still keep it personally, like fuck you, fucking. Yep. And you will always, always, always get that. Yeah. Always. No matter what, you'll always get it. Most people don't want to have a an open conversation and an open argument um, to gain insight. Mainly because they don't want to ever think they're wrong. Yeah. So most people think that they are right in everything. And they don't want someone else to prove that they're wrong. Um, that leads them nowhere in life. Yeah. If you just go about life going, I'm not wrong, and everything I think is right, statistically, you're not correct. Um, you're not thinking the right things. Because it's all, our opinions are based on our experiences. They always are, and they always will be. Some people are worried that their perceptions, based from their experiences, are, are wrong, so they don't want to have the argument I don't want to have that discussion because I don't want to be proven wrong. Yeah. So they'll just go, nah, you're a fucking idiot and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, fine. Those types of people you'll never be able to have a conversation with until they change their mindset. Yeah. Never, ever. And if you end up in that situation and they're going off like pork chops, just go, you know what? You're not worth my time. I'm not going to learn anything from you. I'm not going to get anything from you. So I'm not. And just, and just go from it. Yeah. Right. It's the best way to do it. Because you will have people all the way through your life that you'll go, you know, you'll have an argument with or you'll have a disagreement with and you'll, and you'll w want to know their perspective and they won't want to share it. Because in their mind, they're worried of the complicate or the implication, I mean, if they are not correct. Yeah. And the implication is they're wrong and then they have to go and do some self-reflection and people suck at self-reflection. So they just don't want to do it. Yeah. And so you just can't help those people. Um right. On to my stoic thought for the week. Now, given that you're going back to school, this one is education based. Um it's from Epictetus. Um Epictetus. Epictetus. I actually had to search how to pronounce that and there's a whole thing site that says how do you pronounce some sort of name or word and there's people making suggestions. Now given his name was Epictetus what do you think someone's suggestion was around how you say Epictetus? Epictetus. Yeah it was like Epictetus. <laughs> Wrong and bad younglings. I know but that's what someone thought and it took me ages to be able to make sure I said it properly so I don't come on in here and say, Epic Titties said this. <laughs> okay, it's Epictetus. It's, it is ye old Latin and Greek, so it's pronounced differently, and it's Epictetus. So he said, Epictetus said, 
Um, it is impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. What does that mean? Well, it sort of falls in line to people not being proven wrong. Yeah. If you think you already know, and you're adamant that you already know how to speak French, and someone comes along and says, I'm going to teach you how to speak French. The first thing you're likely going to do is go, I fucking know how to speak French. Baguette. Fucking snail. Um, <laughs> they crap. You know, so it, it this goes along the lines of you can't teach someone it, it, something they think they already know. They won't want to learn it. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's again not want people not wanting to show flaw and not wanting to people to realise they don't know. And you get that a lot for a younger life. And now I did the exact same fucking thing when you you're trying to fucking you know, win the points game of stuff, you know? You can go, I fucking know how to fucking weld the fucking side of the Discovery spaceship. And people go, No, you fucking don't. You go, I fucking do, I'll show you. Um, and, and you don't because you can't get nowhere near it. Um, but it's we we always don't want to be proven wrong, right? We always want to seem more smart, more knowing, you know, more fucking sure of ourselves than we actually are. We never want to face the truth that we're not. Yeah. So this goes along the line of if if you think you already know something, you're less inclined to learn it. You know, I like to think I know stuff all about stuff all and I like to learn and yeah. I constantly like to learn I read, I've read a lot of books and I've read a lot of stuff on leadership and I still don't consider myself a, le- a, you know, a, a learned leader because you shouldn't um, things are always ev- evolving and changing in, in the entire world you're never going to know anything for long you'll quickly unlearn a lot of things um, and as as young men and you leave school and you get into the workforce it goes away from academic results and fuck gonna do good in my maths exam to trying to fit in culturally into a new environment for which you're very much a junior so yeah. you know first day of going into the workforce is like fucking starting kindergarten you don't know shit and they give you some crayons right that's day one in the workforce right you, you treat it like you know nothing and realistically you fucking don't um, a lot of uni struggle uni students struggle when they get their degrees and stuff like that and they go and start in the workforce and it's like, you know, I've studied for six years in uni. I know my stuff. Rock up day one in the fucking workplace and you don't know shit. Because it's all academic based. Right? It takes a while to be able to apply your, your ap- academic learnings into a practical space. Yeah. It takes a while to understand context of things and where things need to be applied and, and, and real world implications and cause and effect and all that type of stuff inside a workplace. So y- you will find that you don't know anything but when you think you know something like if you if you watched every single youtube video there was on servicing a car and rocked up day one as a apprentice mechanic and they went right we're going to service this hyundai and you thought you already knew it you're less likely to pay attention to the finer details of what they're going to show you and what they don't show you on youtube videos is how fucking hot the engine is and what is hot on an engine that you don't touch for a little while and keep away from and how freaking hard it is to get things off and how much you have to force things and you know how much force you can apply to things and and if you think you already know all those things you're less likely to pay attention so i should stop so i should not watch any youtube videos about no you could watch them but watch them and still understand that you don't know much when you rock up to start a job yeah still treat it like you're there your very first thing and it's what i do in in every job i've had in the last 10 years the very first thing I do when I start a new job is learn. I don't lead. I don't instruct. I learned it from a, a a manager that I met a long time ago who was fantastic in his job, and he did the same thing. And he would, for the first three months of his job, not give one instruction, not make one fucking rule, not pull up one person for doing the wrong thing, none of that. He would spend the first three months learning and understanding the job based on the assumption he knew nothing and he'd been in the workforce for, workforce for 25 years and led some big groups of people. But he still applied himself in a new job the exact same way. Rocked up day one on the assumption he didn't know anything. Yeah. And learnt from people. And what he got from that was people were more open and honest with him because they thought he was a goose. 
So they thought he didn't genuinely know anything. So he'd rock up and go, okay, so how do you do your job? Like the forklift dude. He's like, right, the forklift dude, how do you do your job? He's like, oh, I just go and pick up this shit from over here and I fucking put it over there. And he was like running into shit. He didn't have his seatbelt on and things are getting bashed into. Didn't say nothing. Let it go. After three months, called them all in and went, right, this is how the fucking place works now. And just pulled them up on all of it. Um, but went in there to learn. And if you go anywhere, if he would have went in there and went, I know how this fucking all works and I don't need to do a damn thing. He would have just went in and started laying down rules and half of it wouldn't have worked because he wouldn't understand the underlining cultural concepts and how the business actually flowed. He would have just used previous knowledge and that doesn't always apply in equivalent workspace. It it does change. Same with going and being a mechanic. You could be a mechanic in one shop and you do a job one way, you go to the next mechanic shop and that's not how you do the job. The end result and the tasks in between, like fucking changing oil, might be the same, but how you go about that might be entirely different. Yeah. So it's always go good to never think you already know everything about something. Assume you don't know, and then confirm through learning what you do know. That's what that meaning says. That's pretty good. I do. I like it. I think it's a good one. Okay, on to Australia's prime ministers. So we get a newcomer this time. So we're not seen before. Finally. Yep. And we only see him once. Um, his name is Billy Hughes. Born in uh, born in London to Welsh parents. So he was Welsh. Oh. Um, whatever that might mean. Um, his mother passed away in 1869. So he was born in 1862. So quite some time ago. Um, his mother passed away in 1869 and he was, his father sent him to go and live with his auntie in Wales. Uh, uh, for some reason, the father didn't want to care for him. But anyway, um, so he returned to Wales, um, stayed there for some time for his younger years, you know, working on farms, speaking Welsh, doing all those crazy things. Uh, he returned to London to do his elementary schooling. So he came back to London to do his main education. And after he did his main education, he became an apprentice, what they call a pupil teacher. So it's basically an apprentice teacher. Yeah. So he taught classes and took lessons and stuff from the principals and the other teachers on how to be a teacher. Did that for five years. Uh, after that, he, he did some sort of assistant schooling stuff. Did some wandering around, really didn't like the UK, did some holiday trips and all that type of business. Um, at age 22, he, he emigrated to Australia because he was already a British citizen, so he didn't need to immigrate. He could just come across. Um, and he, re- he arrived on the 18th, uh, on this, in December of 1884, arrived in Queensland. Um, it was a two-month journey on Jeez. the boat. <laughs> Jesus. Two months on a boat to come to Australia. <laughs> That's just crazy. Um it's like a freaking cruise now. You go two months and you spend half your life on the fucking beach. Like, that's just mad. Um, so, yeah, I arrived here into Queensland, um, did a whole variety of jobs in between, sort of, you know, Orange of New South Wales right through to Rockhampton, north of here. So quite a broad area, sort of worked up and down, doing labourers' jobs, fruit picking and all that type of stuff. Really couldn't find his place. Um, moved to Sydney in 1886. Uh, worked as a deckhand and a cook. On a on a vessel called the SS Maranoa, which is a private ship, um, just doing cook stuff and stuff. I didn't even do any sailing, but he, he really struggled, struggled to get work, struggled to find livelihood. Ended up actually having to spend a couple of nights sleeping in a cave in one of the parks in the Domain Park. If you're from New South Wales, he actually slept in one of the caves that were there because oh. he was like homeless because he had nowhere to live because he was living on the boat and then he wasn't because he lost his job. He had nowhere to go. He <laughs> just lived in the cave. Um, in that same year, he, he married through a, I think it's called a, what was it called? A common marriage. So it was some sort of weird technical marriage. Anyway, um, a lady called Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Cutts was her name, had six kids together. Um, he opened up his own shop in 1891, got some funds, opened his own just more goods business store in Sydney. Um, couldn't make a lot of money off it, so he worked part-time as a locksmith and an umbrella salesman. 
How about that on your CV? I sold umbrellas. You won't even get that now. No one sells umbrellas. Um, but he was an umbrella salesman. Um, and through his shop and those businesses, he he sort of met, you know, future justices and high court people and party members and blah, blah, blah. He became involved in several unions and leagues um, throughout those next few years before being elected into New South Wales Parliament. This is pre-Federation. This is before the Federation even came along. Um, and then in 1901, he became the, med- the member for Western Sydney in federal parliament um, within the Labor Party. Um, just hung about as sort of in the, in the high ranks of the Labor Party for a little while in those early years. Um, famously in 1913 at the Federation Ceremony or Foundation, sorry, Foundation Ceremony of Canberra when they were actually like a big ceremony where they go, this is Canberra. Here's where we're going to build shit. Um, he, ha- he did a speech in which he proclaimed the country had been attained by the elimination of the indigenous population. Mm-hmm. So he argued that the, the, you know, the colonization of Australia had all but wiped out the indigenous population and culture. So much so that at the you know the foundation ceremony of Canberra there was there wasn't an indigenous ceremony, which which is not uncommon for the time, right? That didn't happen for quite some time. There was no indigenous culture, um, and there was no indigenous ceremony. Um, but he argued that it was it was bad and it was going to be, you know, the fault of all of them, type thing. Yeah. He, was, he was pretty heavy on it. Um, he was he was good for his speeches. There's an actual book of a lot of his speeches around the around wartime that um was actually went to be a bestseller for a while. Oh. Yeah. I didn't try and find it. Um in nineteen fifteen, um, he succeeded Fisher as Prime Minister. So we all know previous Prime Minister, Mr. Fisher, on his third term. Um, you know, his health wasn't great. He was absent from Parliament and he stood down. So he became Billy Hughes became Prime Minister when Fisher stood down. Um, so in uh, in July 1916, he became the first Australian representative to attend an international conference. Mm-hmm. So before that, there wasn't, you know, Australia didn't have a national presence, so that, you know, no one attended an international conference. Right. He was one of the delegates at the Paris Economic Conference. So the Paris Economic Conference was to discuss how they would put economic constraints on Germany yeah. during the war. So it was how the economic constraints would work against Germany by the rest of, you know, the majority of the, the, the nations. Yeah. Um, later that year, he tried to push for conscription. So, you know, around 2000 and... Uh, not 2000, freaking hell, get my head back in the game. Around 1916, you know, 14, 15, 16, quite a lot of casualties in war quite a lot of defeats, quite a lot of people harmed and killed, and he argued that it just proved that we needed to have conscription to keep up the war effort. So, conscription was already a thing, so compulsory service was already a thing. They could force people to join a defence force at that time, under current legislation, but they could only do it for home security and for national defence. Yeah, it, it precluded going overseas, so you, you couldn't do that. He tried to run a, a first. The first conscription was basically I just want to make it compulsory, all up. Um, it was blocked in Parliament. Um, they did went and did a pe- a plebiscite, which is a referendum. So sometimes when you go and vote, the government will go. We're also going to do a referendum. We're going to ask you this question. You just say yes or no. Right. Um, so conscription was one of those. They put it to the people and said, "Would you be supportive of?" having conscription in place and it was defeated it was not by much but the the public voted no yeah so if they vote no you can't do it uh-huh. um is the basis of it so um the the uh, he kept pushing it and pushing it pushing it to the point where it split the labor party so it split his party they just was like half of them were like fucking you you're going off on the tangent which is against the labor party principles um so he went away and he formed the then National Party of Australia, which is not the same as the National Party now, um, but National Party of Australia in coalition with Joseph Cook. 
to one of the one of the former prime ministers. They formed their their new party, um, which pissed a lot of people off, pissed the Labour people off because it was nationalism was completely different to Labour views and stuff like that. So it was all he ticked a lot of people off. <laughs> yeah, but he kept his position. Um, he pushed a second referendum out, um, and when he did it. He said, if, if this referendum doesn't get across the line, I'll resign as Prime Minister. Trying to really push the issue. Yeah. Right. So they, they asked, they went and asked again, this time, though, asking to, to remove the overseas clause from the current legislation so it could include it. So instead of saying excluding overseas, it would include overseas. So not change the whole legislation, just they wanted to just change that one little tiny bit, and they still said no. Uh-huh. <laughs> People were like, no, still no. Um, so from that, he did resign, oh. as promised. But no one else was found suitable or stepped up to take the position of the leader of the party and therefore prime minister. So I, I think the governor general at the time, I think, could be wrong, he basically used his power and just went, ah, oh, you're recommissioned back again. You can come back as prime minister, huh. which allowed... Billy Hughes to honour his resignation as Prime Minister, as he said he would, uh, but still come back and still be Prime Minister. So it's just like, I resign, close the door, walk back in and go, hey, I'm back again. Um, so he took back his, his position. Um, in 1918, they replaced the old electoral system. So the previous electoral system they were using then was something, it was, it was sort of called, I think, um, first past the post election so they would count the numbers up of the elected officials and whoever got the the necessary numbers first was the winner yeah so they still could have three quarters of a fucking bag of votes in there but they go oh no he got there first so he's the first dude he's the elected official yeah um they went from that to the preferential system which is the system through a few minor adaptations that we still use to today to today yeah for election purposes is a preferential system. So all the votes are counted and the preferred candidate is the one that's got the majority. Yeah. Is is the preferred candidate. Um so he did that in nineteen eighteen. In nineteen nineteen he funded the Great Air Race. Oh, what's that? So it was a challenge with a reward of ten thousand pounds to anyone who could get from the UK to Australia by air in less than 30 days. I think we can do that nowadays. <laughs> 30 days. Um, it was won by a couple of chaps. I can't remember their name. Apologies on that. I didn't write it down. Um, in, a, in a Vickers, I think, a Vickers aircraft. But, yeah, it uh, it was a, a real thing because it was a real struggle. They couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and, and they managed to do it inside the 30 days. So that will be something I'll research later because I think that's a good story to research. Ten thousand pounds back then is what now, like mm, a million. Yeah, you know, ten thousand pounds nineteen 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 to now with the inflation, it would be quite a fair amount of money. Um, I'm not quite sure. Ten thousand pounds nineteen nineteen to now. Aiden's currently doing the calculations madly in his on his phone via the Googles. So, 10,000, <laughs> calculate, you can't put a comma apparently, I think that's, so, calculate, so that's half a million dollars, yep, but that's in pounds, let me change that real quick, so it was 500, so that's 500,000 pounds, 550,000 pounds, pounds to AUT, that is, yeah, a million. That's a million dollars. A million dollars, yeah. So there you go, a million dollars. So that's a lot back in the, back in the day. That's pretty much, yeah. For them, that's exactly a million dollars. Yeah, what yeah. They're offering. Yeah, yeah. Just to fly from the UK to Australia in less than thirty days. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> I think the hardest part would be trying to get across the ocean. You'd have to go back in that time. You'd have to skip around the continent, around through sort of India and stuff like that. Yeah. Around through the Middle East and whatnot. You wouldn't make it across the Indian Ocean. Yeah. I hope now. Yeah, yeah. That's but yeah. So that well I thought that was interesting. Um he uh he won going on from that, he won the nineteen nineteen election, um, quite convincingly, actually. Uh but in twenty 
2025. It's written right there in front of me as 1920. In 1920, his political position really started to decline. Yeah. Um, people just start to have enough of him. You know, very intense person. Um, and people had enough of him. Um, he lost majority power in the 1922 election. So his party still won seats. He still won a seat. So he still was successful as a as a candidate for the for the seat he had, although he switched. So when he first went into federal politics, he was Western Sydney. Uh, partway through, when he really wanted to push the Labor position, he stepped back from his seat in Western Sydney and, to, and fought for the seat in Bendigo in Victoria, hoping to secure the more sort of regional, country type people, yeah. which he won. Um, and then later, at this point in time. He dropped the seat in Bendigo and took one up in the the northern suburbs of Sydney. Yeah. More prestigious, you know, socialite type position, um, which sort of I don't think helped his political position anyway. So his party didn't secure enough enough um, candidates. They wanted to join up in a coalition with another party that had secured a, a large amount of seats and do a coalition to form a majority government. Um, that government, that party didn't want Hughes as the leader, so no. they said we're not going to do it if he's your, if he's the leader of the the, the the parliament. So he stuck he stepped down as the party leader in 1923. So still remained on for some years after that. I think sort of, um, I think it was geez, I can't remember how it was like 1930 or 40 or something. He stayed around for a fair while longer. Yeah, but he he. Uh, he stepped down as leader and never stepped back up again. So that was him. So that at that point in time, he became the longest standing prime minister, six years and three months. Jeez. And that that term in office held until 1957, till Menzies comes along. Um, so that record held for quite some time. So, so this guy went from sleeping sleeping in a cave, mm. no job, to being. Prime Minister for six years. Yep. Jeez. Yep. And you got those people going, oh, I can't, I'd never be anything like that. Rubbish. It's not about where you are, it's who you are and your desires. So, yeah, that's um, that's him. So I think it's quite an astounding story. Yeah. Um, to go through, you know, there's not the, there's not the big, you know, sacrifices and stuff there have been as some of the, the earlier Prime Ministers. But still, quite a fair bit of struggle. Yeah. Quite a fair bit of up and down to have to go through. Um, and to guide Australia through, you know, essentially through the whole crux of the First World War. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, that is a very big achievement in itself. Jeez. So that there is the story of Mr. Billy Hughes. And that is it. That's so... all I got. Um <laughs> So six years, so that would take us to when? When's the next prime minister? Uh, what years he come in? Well, the next prime minister will come in. So, next prime minister will come in in nineteen twenty-three. Oh, with the next prime minister. So, yeah, so a fair while ago, you know, the, the the period of time he went. Yeah. So, quite quite a considerable margin, and quite a like you know not a lot achieved. I guess legislative, like some of the earlier prime ministers, you know, there was a lot of legislation they pushed, and a lot of things were established. This wasn't quite so much in the legislative space, but it was during wartime. Yeah, you know, and and you know that leading and that influence and stuff like that um, is really what what got him through. And I'll research some of his speeches because some of his speeches were very influential in that that national, you know, the Australian national image and that. That, that fighting culture and stuff like that. His speeches were very influential, influential in that. So that would be interesting to come across some of those and, and see what they say. Yeah. Mm. You're going you're gonna to read them out on the podcast? Well, I, I might do. I might, man. I might read some of them. Uh, just how see long are they? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. He likes to speak. <laughs> it could be a freaking whole hour of someone's speech. <laughs> um, I don't know. But I'll, I'll try and find them. They were put into a book. So. Yeah. I'll try and find some of them and see what they're see what they're like. Well, uh, we've we've passed an hour now, hour and four minutes. Yeah, see, 
just like how he had the longest run in as a prime minister until what was it 1957? Yeah, it's our longest podcast. Yeah, yeah, well, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty close. It's the hour and five now. So, um, yeah, anything else? That's no, that's I it. Don't really have anything else to say? All right, I think I've done enough talking for today. So, um, we'll be back next week with the next instalment of all these things. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. I might have some stories from school, maybe anything <laughs> interesting happens. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Oh, I studied for yeah. my math. Yeah, yeah. It'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be just Eeyores. <laughs> anyway, I've already said goodbye, so I'll say goodbye again. Bye, see ya. Goodbye.